0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Sugar Hill Church Online. We're live today and wanted to be able to convey to you something that's extraordinarily special, and that is in the midst of all these difficult times, there are people struggling with anxiety. There are folks that are fearful. I'm always reminded of what the Apostle Paul said, be anxious about nothing, but pray for everything. So with that in mind, let's get started with a word of prayer. God, today... Would you reach out and touch folks that are struggling? I know there are folks who have already lost incomes, worried about what to do about uh, their job. There are folks struggling with their health, and I know that there are folks that are struggling with anxiety in the midst of all these uncertain times. But God, would you speak into their life, not only right now in the midst of this service, but continually throughout this week, that we might walk in the confidence that you are still on the throne, that you are still God, And that in the midst of all of this, you're going to take this mess and turn it around for our good and your glory because you are God and you are God alone. We pray this knowing that you hear us and you answer us in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So thanks for joining us, and like Rachel said earlier, welcome home to Sugar Hill Church online. We are social distancing, even in the studio this morning. Austin is over there running slides, and Ethan is over here in charge of most everything. Bobby's over there not doing one blessed thing, and everybody's having a great time here online. This morning, as Rachel mentioned, we're going to be in our fourth week in the series on Sermon on the Mount. Now, this sermon that Jesus taught is the greatest sermon of all time. Jesus, the Son of the living God, has come to give us this message of this is how we are to live. So four weeks ago, Pastor Bobby brought together a great sermon about our attitude, the attitudes. Then we talked about salt and light, and then we talked about how we're going to go and live this life and be the kind of believer that would be a second-mile believer, and today... I want to invite you to join me at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have a Bible or a Bible on your app, go ahead and open that device or open your Bible and find in the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew and in chapter 5. In chapter 5, I believe Jesus gives us this perfect and wonderful day. I think he gives us this wonderful sermon and I think he gives us this wonderful and that is this. Jesus is teaching us to live counter-culturally compared to the world in which we are immersed. Now, that is a big voice. That is a big statement. Jesus is still saying to us in 2020, live counter-culturally compared to the world in which we are immersed. Well, when I think about that, I think in the middle of this coronavirus mess, while the world is speaking fear into everyone's life, The follower of Jesus has the ability to speak peace into this world, be anxious for nothing, yet pray for everything. And so when I look at this, I'm I'm reminded that Jesus wants to be sure that we know what it means to follow him and to walk with him faithfully in the fullness of his power and his glory in these days. Now, you might say, well, Chuck, that works well for every other time, but this is unique. I mean, Chuck... I'm in a crisis. I'm not sure if I'm going to have another paycheck. I'm not sure if I can pay my rent. I'm not sure if I'm going to have groceries for my children. Listen, friend, what Paul was saying about being anxious for nothing fits perfectly well in the Sermon on the Mount. Because when we're not anxious for anything, we don't have to deal with anger about anything. I believe that the core of every person's anger, every person's desire for revenge, every person's desire to blame something and somebody starts with an anxious thought. And that anxious thought is overwhelming. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, beginning of verse 43. You have heard that the law says, now if you're an underliner or if you're a highlighter, highlight what the law says says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that, but you are to be perfect. There's another point to underline. Even as your father in heaven is, here's the word again, perfect. Now, how many times have we said, I'm not perfect? And that's absolutely true. We're not. But immediately, when it it comes to this idea of loving our enemies, many of us aren't ready to sign on the dotted line. I mean, most of us are always in a binary thought here in America that there is always somebody to blame, somebody at fault. We ought to be able to look at that and say, well, I want to blame somebody, but I never want to look inwardly. And at the heart of our belief system is our ability to look within us and see God at work. And you know, this would have been the case for Jesus's listeners while he was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount as well. While Jesus was preaching, people there were like, wait a minute, love your neighbor. That's, that seems impossible to me. It's all I can do to love my family. The teachings of the experts in the law. Now, remember, this would have been the Mosaic law. This would have been Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That in that law, the teachings of the law, they kind of morphed to the point where they were interpreting this idea of loving our neighbors as only loving folks that love you. Now, just think about that. It's pretty doggone easy to love people that love you. But what I find greatly challenging, let me just admit it as a pastor, it's hard to love people that don't even like you. It's even harder to love people that you know that you know are your enemies. And Jesus comes along and he says, wait a minute, I want to turn the world right side up. I want you to love people who don't love you. Those folks in those days and these folks in our days have lost sight of what God originally meant. I mean, The command, in fact, the phrase, hate your enemy, is never found in the Old Testament law, not one time. And so when you look at that, you say, well, how did it get there? This is where religion started taking root and the relationship with God started being passed away. Because in our own way, we think to ourselves, well, if somebody's done me wrong, I ought to be able to get them back, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Well, the experts in the Old Testament law, they had changed this meaning of the law until it got to the point that it was not what it was ever originally meant to be. So when eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth became this is the law, that means you are supposed to go at somebody else. This is a great time to remind us though, especially in America right now, in the middle of this coronavirus, in the, in the crisis that we face, in the middle of the time in which tensions are high, Fears are high, anxieties are high. It's a great time for us to have this reminder that we don't take a command of God and change it to our liking. We've got to be extraordinarily careful that what we never do is take God's unchanging word and change it to fit how we want it to be in our time. We've got to be careful so as not to distort the word of God. So the people had not only missed this full meaning of God's command, they distorted it. Now, you know, I've said a bunch around Sugar Hill Church and in my writings that when you add something to Scripture, that is extra biblical. When you take something away from Scripture, that's unbiblical. When you take Scripture at its face and at its face value, that's scriptural. Well, what we know is the context then got distorted, and as a result, the context today gets distorted. Jesus seeks, though, to bring some clarity here. In his Sermon on the Mount, he started, as Pastor Bobby mentioned, that these are the attitudes we're supposed to live with. Then he says, you're, you're to be salt and you're to be light. And then he goes on and says, you're not supposed to go get an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And now he's saying, wait a minute, you're supposed to love your neighbor. But friend, if you're like me, that's not always easy. To love your enemy is not easy. To love people that love you, to love your friends, piece of cake. Well, most of the time. Well, Jesus said, I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Wait a minute. I started off by saying, be anxious for nothing, pray for everything. And then Jesus comes along and says, love your enemies and then go one step further, I believe, pray for them. This morning, We'll look at a few reasons as to why we should do that and why Jesus made such a point here. Let's look at the reasons for loving one another this morning. First, we're to love our enemies as we seek and here's his word godliness. We are to love our enemies as we seek godliness. Listen to verses 43 through 45. You've heard the, the law says, love your enemy and hate your love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. In these three verses, Jesus tells us that when we love others, watch this, we are children of your Father in heaven. In other words, we are looking more like God has always desired us to look. Jesus is saying that by loving our enemies, we are emulating God the Father. I, I, I love it when I see in my children that they have emulated what they've seen in their daddy. I can remember looking at my dad. My dad had, wore hats back, you know, in the 60s, and I love those things. I love a, a good derby hat. And I remember as a kid, I wore them because my dad did. I couldn't remember watching how my dad held a steering wheel and how he put his feet on the on the gas and the brake and how he put it on the clutch and the shifter. And I thought to myself, I, w- I want to drive like my dad. God can't wait for you to emulate him. And when we are doing so, he's saying, you are more like children of the Father in heaven. Jesus is saying loving our enemies is emulating God. That's a good thing. Jesus goes into detail, though, about how God the Father shows love to all people. Listen to what he says. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Sun and rain are good things, right? And they're good for the people of ancient Israel back then, and they're good now. The people needed sun and rain for their agricultural prosperity. We need it for the same, but honestly, most of us need it right now for some emotional stability. The struggle we have with just the continual rain and the darkness of winter, there are folks that are just looking for this. And honestly, in the middle of this this COVID-19, we are having a situation where we need sunlight more than ever. Jenny and I got out yesterday, and we just watched how many people were trying to escape the house and just get out and walk more than I normally see, because it was a pretty day here in Georgia. Well, now to be sure that we get the picture, though, I want to make sure that we get this. Although those who trust in Jesus are loved in a very and wonderful, special, and specific way by God, all humanity, good and evil, is loved generally by God because all humans are made in God's image and are special to him. Time out right here. I want to make sure that you understand this understanding. If you're here today and you say, Chuck, I have nothing to do with God. Chuck, I have nothing to do with the church. Chuck, I never read my Bible. Chuck, I don't know anything. I might even claim that I I am an atheist or agnostic. Here is something that I want you to hear. God loves You. Doesn't matter who you are. And you can say, Well, I don't want God to love me. Not your choice. He made you and He loves you. You can't make somebody not love you. And God will never stop loving you, no matter who you are. Now, this is what we call God's common grace. You say, Well, Chuck, that's a new term for me. God's common grace is how God has displayed His grace upon all humanity. And this is common amongst all peoples. And it's it's not greater for some and lesser for others, including sending sun and rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, the believers and the unbelievers. Here's our first big theological term for the day, and we'll hit a couple of them. Common grace is the display of God's grace to all humanity, regardless of their salvation in Christ. Now, this is not saving grace. This is loving grace. Don't miss this, all right? The, the grace that God extends to all people is that forgiveness is available for you. Forgiveness is available of anything and all things because he loves you. But you see, only God can do that. He's your creator. And so this is why he sent Jesus to be our savior, to make a way in which we could have forgiveness of everything in our life, every sin, every selfishness, not saving grace, but loving grace is it not awesome that god extends to you a loving grace here's what jesus is saying god the father shows love to all so if we want to be like him we should as well so how is it that we do that especially in the midst of the coronavirus in the middle of this crisis this is the time for the church to rise up and serve people more than ever before i know that our church has served hundreds of people this week with food and been able to help them with necessities. We've also provided three or four dozen uh, opportunities for kids to have Chromebooks at home to finish their education. We have been supporting the the North Gwinnett Co-op and folks, we need a ton of food. So if you'll just take a look on Sugar Hill Church on our Facebook page, you'll find a way you can participate and be what Jesus is talking about. They may not be your enemy, but you may not know who they are, but we do know they need a loving grace. They need to see that not just in Jesus in his sermon on the mount, but in the people that claim to be followers of Jesus. Now, I know what you're saying, Chuck, I'll pray for my family. I pray for my church, but these people that are my enemies, no way. I'm praying that a bus will hit them, that they'll have kidney stones, and they'll have four flat tires tomorrow. Well, friend, listen, that, my friend, is what we call not a loving grace. So Jesus has an expectation and a command to you and I as followers of Jesus that this is what we're to do. And here's the big picture. The context of everything that Jesus is saying is regarding our desire for blessing toward those who are our enemies and those who seek to hurt us either physically, emotionally, or relationally. Now, this is so foreign to us that it's hard even to compare it to anything going on in the world. It is contradictory to everything that's been taught to us in this life. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. you you're you saying, well, Chuck, that is way out of the realm of my natural state. Jesus knew it then, And he knows it now. And it's a reminder to the people on the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a reminder to us right now in 2020 that we are to do that. Listen, when people attempt to harm us or people are our natural enemies, this is what we know to do. We know that prayer makes our heart more like God's. This is why we pray. Prayer makes our heart more like God's. Jesus has told us that we should want to be more like God. If we are to be more like God, we're to be a praying people. Now, I know what you're saying, Chuck, I don't have time to pray. I got some coronavirus to chase. Well, here's what I do know. Every morning you push the green button and you open up that relationship with God. Then beyond that, you have the opportunity to be able to stop and pray all day, every day, no matter where you're going, what you're doing. And as you do, you have the opportunity to pray. When you get ready to close your eyes and start snoring away the night, you hit the red button. All day long, this is what's available for you. I got a little uh, dry mouth. I'm going to take a little sip of water. I want to remind you of something why I'm doing this. At the end of today's service, we're going to have a communion. And I want to invite you maybe now to kind of take a time and break and step away and go get some... Uh, Get some juice of any kind or beverage of any kind, crackers of any kind. I've already got some uh, grape juice and some saltines here. Take a few minutes, and uh, we're going to be back in just a second. You're going to see our logo on the screen, and then I'll come back in about a minute. Let you go get everything you need. We'll see you then. I hope you got everything you need. And remember, any kind of bread, any kind of cracker, any kind of beverage or juice, all right? Let me pick up where we left off. Prayer makes our heart more like God's. But secondly, prayer softens our heart. I've said this so many times that I am a huge believer in this, that when our hearts grow softer, our skin can grow thicker, meaning we don't have to always take every offense and be angry or resentful about it. When our heart grows softer, we have a deep emotional desire to have compassion and to show that in action. When our skin becomes thicker, we don't take everything as an offense. That's a beautiful part of our heart growing softer. We're, this is a big deal. We're not to hate, but to love. And when we pray, it softens our heart toward love. We're also to pray because it clarifies who's the boss. I mean, this is a big deal. Who is the boss of your life? Is it you? Uh, Is it your children? Is it your stepchildren? Um, Who's the boss of your life? And at the end of the day, when we pray, we are reminded that God is in control and that everything that we have in great need, God can supply and he will meet our need. And especially when we come to him, you know what will happen? We will know this. He is God, and we are not. He is God, and we are not. Here's some good news. If you've been wronged by someone, God will one day make that right. You're saying, well, Chuck, I'm so frustrated with them. I got to get my pound of flesh. Here's the greatest news I can give you. God's going to settle this score. God will take care of this. That's not on you. As a matter of fact, if you really want to step back and see what happens, start praying for that person, not to get hit by the bus, but be praying for them that God would do a great work in their life. But he's going to take care of this. In order to be more like God, and this is a big deal, in order to be more like God, we love our enemies. But now secondly, when when we are living more like God, then we're to love our enemies as we seek perfection, Now, I know that's a tough word, perfection. Look in the scripture again, and Jesus says in verses 46 through 48, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that, but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, in verses 46 and 47, Jesus says that he is totally unimpressed with us only loving those who do good to us. If you're, if you're one of those people that used to get gold stars in school, you know, when you were the good type, I never got gold stars. I don't know what the deal was. I got demerits, not gold stars. But Jesus is saying, if you want one of those spiritual gold stars, Don't just love people that like you and make it easy to love them. Love your enemies. Gold stars come with that in heaven. He is calling us, friend, to something greater. Everything Jesus is teaching us here is to teaching you and I how to live at a greater degree of our life. If you're kind of stuck maybe in your life and you're thinking, where do I go from here? How do I take another step? Or how do I get out of this crisis? Or how do I live through this? The answer Jesus is saying is, Get your heart right because everything that matters is a matter of the heart. And he's saying, I want to call you to something greater. We're not supposed to just hate and act like people who are taking advantage of others or in that day, like a tax collector. What Jesus is saying is, I want you to love the, the cheater. I want you to love the traitor. I want you to love every." Person, no matter how much bad they've done. Has it ever occurred to you that the, the world's greatest criminal, the world's greatest terrorist, is one prayer away from being your eternal neighbor? And you say, well, I don't want them in heaven. I'll promise you, they're there. You're not going to have a say in it and you're going to love it. Well, just to make sure we get the essence of what Jesus is calling to us, he drops this statement be perfect. Oh, come on, Lord Jesus. Be perfect. Perfect, but listen, that standard might be unrealistic for us. You you doggone right it's unrealistic. I'm the most imperfect person I know. As mere humans, this is an impossible standard. But in Christ Jesus, while he lives within us, it is actually capable and probable. Maybe not perfect in a human sense but perfect as he does his work within us. This is another theological term for the day. And I want you to make sure you capture this in your notes. Depravity refers to the inability for us to live holy lives because we are sinful people. From the moment Adam and Eve messed up through today, you and I are dealing with sinfulness, selfishness, and corruption in our hearts. That's why we need Jesus. Over and over, week after week, sermon after sermon, the message seems to be the same. You ready? We need Jesus. Today, friend, if you would just let that heart grow soft enough that your prayer could say, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. This is the opportunity for you to say, Jesus, step into my heart and forgive me. Become my Lord, become my Savior. And Lord, I want you to take over my life. Be my boss. I want to turn around. I don't want to live for me anymore. And I want to thank you, Jesus, that you died for me and that you rose from the grave for me to pay for my selfishness and my sin and for giving me this heaven. I want to stop for just a minute and pray for you. Lord God, for the folks out there who have just heard this word, for the folks out there on Facebook Live or in our live stream or on our app, wherever they are, God, maybe in this time right now, as they've trusted you, maybe for the first time, Lord, would you step into their life and let them know of your great love that you have created a home in heaven for all that would believe and that anybody and everybody is welcome to that saving grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Folks, the beauty of God's love for our life is the fact that he does indeed love everybody. And he loves everybody to the degree that we all can have that equal share of his love and his forgiveness. So when Jesus gives us a new heart, he also imputes his righteousness to us. Now we use the term self-righteousness in a bad way and we should, but the next theological term today is imputation. Imputation is the attributing or giving of Jesus's righteousness to those who trust in him, like those of you that just did, for salvation and a new life. Once we give our lives to Jesus, we are rescued from our depravity. Why? Because the imputation of Jesus's righteousness on our life. Every day, we're on a path toward holiness to be perfect as Jesus is. And this should be the goal of every follower of Christ. This pursuit of holiness is called sanctification. The last word we'll talk about today. Sanctification refers to the Christian's process of being made holy so that when Jesus calls us to be perfect, we have to consider these factors. Because of our depravity, we're unable to be perfect. Did you get that because of our depravity, because of our sinfulness, we are unable to be perfect. Because of the imputation of Jesus's righteousness given to us, we can pursue perfection. Because of God's sanctification in our life, because his holy spirit is working within us as believers, we are pursuing perfection. So on the continuum of holiness and perfection, we still live in a sinful state. And yet We have forgiveness found in Christ and Christ alone. We're to be consistently pursuing God's holiness and God's perfection. We will fail. I failed already today. You might have as well. But that's okay, we can get back up and pursue our extraordinary perfection over and over again. You know why? Because God's never going to give up on us. He is always with us. There is no place you go that he is not there. And aren't you grateful that Jesus didn't call us to the pursuit of mediocrity? He called us to his perfect pursuit of perfection and holiness. Loving our enemies, friend, is a part of what it means to pursue God. So if you want every richness and blessing that God has for you, then you've got to choose to pursue holiness. How do you do that? You pursue God. Well, today it's easy for me to say, this is what we're to do. But what about Tuesday afternoon at the board meeting? It sounds like this. In your mind, Lord, today, right now, in the middle of this meeting, I need your help. Uh, My kids are going crazy at home. I've got a Zoom call with 14 staff members. And I don't know, I I just can't do it anymore. And the answer is, Jesus, would you step into my life and in your power, would you start delivering that righteousness in my life so I could love anybody and everybody and I could become more like you. And as I do, not only do I survive this, but I can thrive through it. Fight for holiness, fight for godliness, fight for holy perfection and for love. Our bottom line today is this friend, you ready? Loving our enemies, Makes us more like God and more like God wants us to be. Do you want to be more like God and more like God wants you to be? If so, love your enemies. If you want to pursue godliness and you want to pursue godly love, challenge yourself in this way. Identify your enemy. Who's that person? Just go ahead, just kind of mentally, right now, you may even write it down. Take some time to think of specific people that you might consider your enemy. Being specific will always help you overcome your challenge in loving that person. Secondly, identify your enemy in your sin internally. Sin, my friend, is our enemy. Sin will keep us from living for God and sin will keep us from loving others. And we have to admit this, that we are making more often than not poor choices and choosing sin. Third, destroy your enemy. Attack your sin, not the person, destroy your sin by pursuing godly perfection and commit to love and loving your enemies. You know, folks, we have to remember that following Jesus and being just in God's eyes is not about following a list of rules. You could never and I could never possibly follow all the rules. And honestly, I've broken most of them, if not all of them. God's standard is perfection. And as he lives and dwells within us, he reminds us, make those right choices. Choose godliness. Choose the pursuit of perfection in Christ. Jesus' point is that we need to be changed by God's grace to live the way he's called us to live. Friend, that's why today we participate in communion. You know, I've had people say to me before, Chuck, what is, it, what is so special about Communion. And do I need to be in the church to do this? And how, how do I do this? So if you haven't already, gather any type of bread or any kind of cracker. I've just got saltines, and I've got a little cran grape juice. And you could take anything. You might have loaf bread and Gatorade. Uh, it's, it's not about what you use. It's the fact that we are using this. Jesus, when he gathered around with his disciples... I don't know how he did it. Jesus shows us the incredible love for the enemies that are about not only to totally betray him, but walk away from him. When Jesus says, one of you tonight will betray me, they're like, no, Lord, we would never do that. One of you, Peter, you will betray me three times. Peter was asked in the courtyard outside of Caiaphas' home, are, are you that guy that followed Jesus? No, not me. Aren't you one of those Jesus followers? No, not me. Aren't you one of those men that traveled with that rabbi Jesus? No, not me. And at each time, as Jesus predicted, that rooster crowed. He was sitting there loving the people that would betray him And he was about to break and bless the bread and share the wine. And for the first time, he gave this beautiful picture that the bread was a picture of his body that would be broken, that would be spat upon, that would have a crown of thorns forced down upon his head. He would be beaten. He he literally would have been cursed and spat upon and whipped until he literally wasn't even recognizable and yet he loved those that were about to betray him how much more so are we to do that in his power today and he took the bread and he broke it and he blessed it and he said this bread this is this is a picture of my body and it's broken and now it'll be blessed father Would you take the bread and the crackers and whatever all these folks that are watching online are doing and would you bless it as we remember your broken body today? Lord, we are grateful that you loved us so much that you gave us your life and you gave it to us in every way, all the way to death. But Lord, we're grateful that it also came with your resurrection. But we remember right now as you instructed for us to remember the blessed body of the Lord Jesus Christ as it was hung on a cross and as you were broken for our sin. Lord, we praise you and thank you in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. And they ate. And then Jesus took the wine and uh, he poured it in such a way that our, the disciples, our picture is that it was a neat and tidy time, but honestly it, was, uh, it had to have been a moment of sorrow in their lives, the recognition of their sin. And Jesus said that this, this cup, this wine, it would be a picture of his ruby red royal blood that would be spilled for the forgiveness of sins for all mankind. That there there would be no need for sacrifices anymore. He was the perfect spotless lamb, that he was the sacrifice that would atone for our sins forever. And that when we came together and we took this supper, we would remember him. Don't miss that whatever you're using as this drink Sit together with your family or your groups or maybe you're alone right now and remember that Christ shed his blood for you. That you could have life for all eternity and in abundance now. And he took that and he said, for as often as you do this, remember me.